Hello, welcome to episode 22 of True Cult Pop, the podcast about music, all sorts of music, and we have got an exciting music-packed show for you today. I'm Stephen Hill. Joining me as ever is compadre, my man, Mibal. Oh no, no more reggae, not after last week. It's Sam Slight, everyone. Sam Slight's here, everyone. He's here. He's actually here. How you doing, mate? Shabba. I'm all right. How are you, Steve? Uh, it's, uh, tell you what, it's been a fucking busy week, mate, but it's been Oof. a good one. And I think the, the joy of looking forward to that Milton Keynes weekend festival with you, Dave and Krista, has kept me going. Yes, I have just announced, I believe the festival is called Ragaton, Ragatron. Is that what it's called? Sean Paul's there. That's all I need. Chanda Paul is there, in fact. Yes, he (laughs) is. Uh, It's called Reggae Land in Milton Keynes. When I think of what what land would be in Reggae Land, I often think of uh, it being in Milton Keynes. Yeah, Milton Keynes. Bob, my mate Sean sent me this. Sean Paul, Beanie Man, Barrington Livy. We don't have time for this, really, do we? We'll go really. do a deep dive on the, the old reggae land. But the tickets are available now at the Milton Keynes Bowl. If you're about in August, see you there. Yeah. We'll be drinking. We'll be uh, drinking, drinking a few club beers. Sodas. Yeah. <laughs> what I could say. On the beach. Red Red Stripe, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, well, um, and uh, I'm bogling away like a bunch of nutters. I do like reggae. I'm not taking a piss out of reggae. No, I do like not. it. Absolutely not. Uh, we've got a few things to review this week on the show. We've got quite a few things. It's it's a bumper review packed banger of a show. We're going to be talking about new releases from Code Orange, from Pink, Together at Last, from 100 Reasons, from Orbital, from Host, and from Erase Theory. Before we go any further, I should point you in the direction of our very, very exciting Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash true cult pop, where you can sign up for alternative content and exclusive content alternative content i mean or you can have it alternatively to this or you can have it alongside this yes. whatever you fancy doing i don't really mind um going up on saturday um if you sign up for any amount you get to hear this and you get to suggest an album i can't remember who suggested this to me i can't believe somebody has phoned me within seconds of us doing that i'm actually gonna hang up never hang up on anyone but i'm gonna hang up <laughs> on that person um <laughs> uh, we have I know, fucking unbelievable. Um, yeah, we, we're doing Nightwish, basically. Doing Nightwish yeah. on yeah. Saturday. So we haven't actually recorded that yet. So who knows what we'll say about Nightwish? I think I can hazard a guess. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I, little spoiler, <laughs> it's, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Okay. I mean, to be fair, my expectations were kind of at, like below the bottom of the barrel. And uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. all right. It's all right, I guess. That's the, my, the pricey. My expectations were, were were very low indeed. Very, very low. <sighs> anyway, well, it's, it'll be there on Saturday. I'll get to that, yeah, yeah. Uh, something a bit more exciting. If you go and sign up for our £5 a month tier, uh, the classic album tier, we've just put up our classic album on Black Star by David Bowie, which was emotional, difficult, yep. hard, um all of the things that Nightwish was, but just in a different way, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, you did a sterling job with that, Sam. And um, I, yeah, I don't think I could have done that. I listened to the album about two or three times in advance of mm. recording. And that, that was sort of enough for me because it's a pretty sad record. It's a very difficult one. Uh, and thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I mean, to be honest, uh, I suppose I'll toot my own horn first before we talk about uh, very, very briefly. Um in terms of kind of journalistic endeavours, if you want to be that sort of liberal with the phrase, it's my favourite thing that I've done today. Um, I was really happy with how it went. I thought it was, yeah, it was a very difficult chat. It was 
sobering it was emotional and i think you know we both in terms of the emotion coming at it from quite different perspectives based on sort of life events but um ultimately it was really really nice to celebrate the the, the sort of the end of the legacy of one of the greatest artists of all time and i think it was probably a good place to start because it means that when we go into them uh, the next ones because there are going to be several other bowie albums as classics undoubtedly mm. um i think we can kind of park the sort of the end point because we've, we've covered it now so we can just enjoy the sort of the the here and now retrospectively of whichever album we choose to do next so. yeah yeah i think so it was it was great it's a great record um but like you say there are there are times to really kind of enjoy and celebrate david bowie and there are times to be sad about the fact that he is mm. no longer with us and we started by deciding to be sad which is kind of an, an it's odd my default to setting to be fair yeah yeah it's a little bit but that's all right goth i am honestly that's all right that's absolutely <laughs> fine no one yeah. no one's gonna have a go at you for that mate it's all good um so there you go over to true cult pop uh, sorry patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and sign up there and you'll be able to listen to that and we've got four big ones coming the next four big. we're doing are going to be real big so uh get ready for that i won't say anything more than that i did give a little spoiler well it's up on our fucking social media stuff so <laughs> yeah. it's not really that much of a four spoiler, real big fish albums that's why they're four so big. real yeah, big yeah. fish albums. can you believe that there's going to be four real big fish albums uh that we're going to do all at once one of them uh, incredible be three hours on their take on me cover as well yeah definitely definitely <laughs> let's not talk about real big fish uh let's talk about what we've been listening to this week i'm going to go first i think because i have um just the other day i i whacked on drums and wires by xdc i fucking love xdc absolutely love them they are a band who have a fantastic greatest hits back catalogue a really great greatest hit set i think really really cool band you know they are the um i'd say maybe the mo one of the most underrated of the kind of the the late 70s going into the early 80s art pop new wave post-punk mm. bands don't really feel like people talk about them too much but i whack that on and i thought to myself as good as this album is drums and wires is probably i think is the best xtc album definitely that is probably worthy of a classic i would say i think it's a great record um but the opening song making plans for nigel is probably to most people i'd say their only like legit classic song and i put it on and i hadn't heard it for years and i just was like this is fucking brilliant so good i had to go back and listen to it like three times on the trot what a fucking tune so it was released on the 14th of september 1979 i think it's quite an old this is the old one the oldest one that we've done um got to number might be, yeah yeah might be got to a mere number 17 on the uk singles chart which seems fucking insane but um it's just such a great weird odd little falsetto song mm. about a kid having to go and work in a you know a shitty job for the rest of his life <laughs> as planned for him by his parents um weird idea for a song really weird guitar riff like I, I absolutely love this song i love this song yeah um so i i cannot profess to be a massive xdc fan purely because i haven't listened to that much of them i mean you're absolutely right they've got a banging sort of greatest hits collection that even then i couldn't tell you every single essential xdc song but i have heard drums and wires before um perhaps not in the same depth as i know other you know kind of artists of this 
of this era. Uh, you know, I, I don't know them in the same way that I know Talking Heads, for example, for sort of mm. uh, contemporary bedfellow. But yeah, making plans for Nigel. It's it's the big one, isn't it? It's the one that everyone yeah. knows. If they know an XTC song, it's this. And yeah, absolutely love it. it I think jagged kind of art pop is definitely what it is. It's got that weird rumbling but stabbing bass guitar that runs under it. And I think it's absolutely... It's so vibrant and bouncy, but then off kilter and a little bit sort of disconcerting at times. Um, and like you say, the the weird vocal pattern and the sort of intonation of it, it's almost Bowie-esque. The kind of, we're only mm. making plans for Nigel. It's like, Ooh. it's just, yeah. That little, Where's that come from? Weird, really, really weird. It's a strange one, but uh, yeah, it's it's an absolute banger. It's definitely uh, a, a classic, a classic in the waiting. I'd be interested to do drums and wires. I would probably go and listen to it uh, after we finish recording, actually, because I do wicked. like XTC. So yeah. yeah, it's wicked. They are a weird little odd band, and it's also weird because they're from Swindon. So I watched the documentary. I can't remember what the name of the documentary about XTC that came out in about 2016, 17 was. I remember seeing it on Sky and. Because I was, you know, really into XTC, uh, I, like back in the day, I was like, oh, I need to watch this. I need to watch this. And I had no, di- uh, no idea. Like Andrew Partridge, their, uh, their guitarist, has got the most, he is proper like, all right, I fucking, <laughs> I can't bloody. So then we started recording songs and stuff. And I was like, no wonder you're not a massive rock star. No wonder people think you're not David <laughs> No, I wants Byrne. to interview you're you. like a sort yeah. of chubby, bald, balding ginger man from Swindon with a massive <laughs> yokel accent. Like, like they don't sound and look like they sound on record. Mm. And I think there's something like really great about that. I think like Frank Black has a bit of that as well. You look at him particularly now where you're like, oh, he's just a sort of messy looking Fat man. Bloke, but you yeah. hear him, he looks sounds like the most sexy, dangerous fucker in the world when you hear him mm. on record. And I think XCC have a bit of that. Like the fact that you compare him to Bowie and then if you see him, you'd be like, who's this like short, fat, bald, specky well, right, little man? Fred. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's fucking <laughs> absolutely bizarre. But they are, they are great. And um. It's interesting, actually, that cover versions on the, on the Wikipedia page of this. So the first time I heard this song would have been a cover version. Now, I know that um, th- there's much bigger artists than the cover that I heard, right? So Pitch Shifter on the single for Genius, their mm. 1998 single, uh, they, they, they covered this. And this was the first time I heard this song. And they do make it way more like... Aggie. Harsh Aggie. Yeah, yeah. I'm only making plans for Nigel. That's what how they, they do it. Um, but did you know who else has covered this song, Sam? Ooh, um, Moth. No, but it's someone you like a lot. Ooh, an Al Nasrak. No. Oh, uh, go on. I think you might have to tell you... me. <laughs> so it's been covered by Primus. Oh, no way. Yeah, on Miscellaneous I... Debris. The uh, the EP, the, the five song uh, cover EP that they did in 1992. I have never heard that EP. I've never right, even okay. heard of that EP. Bloody hell! Right, As okay. a well, professed kind of like Primus apologist, I can't believe I don't know that. Bloody hell! Well, it's got a cover of uh, "Have a Cigar" by Pink Floyd. Uh, it's got a cover of "Intruder" by Peter Gabriel. Um, it's okay. got "Making Plans for Nigel." It's got a Residence cover and a Meters cover. Oh, I've probably heard the Residence cover before because mm. I mean that. Ju- I think Primus sound a lot like Residence anyway. They're just weird, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was also covered by the Rembrandts. Yes, they of the Friends theme tune. Yeah. I'll be there for you. Don't need that. Uh, Sorry, I know. I know. I don't need that. You don't really need that. I mean, that is actually on a 1995 tribute album to XTC, uh, which features the likes of the Verve Pipe, Space Hog. Sarah McLaughlin, they might be giants, uh, and Joe Jackson. 
are all on there amongst us. Oh, and the crash and the crash test dummies are on there as well. Ridiculous. Ooh, a, a mixed bag. Uh, was Matthew Perry on there doing a solo version of something? I don't know. The title track <laughs> no. of Drums and Wires? I don't know. No, funnily enough. No, no, oh, okay. no, he wasn't. And it was also covered by Robbie Williams in 1997. Oh, saving the best till last, mate, isn't The it? B-side to Old Before I Die. Some other people have covered it as well, like Novel Vague have covered it as well. Burning Heads have covered it, but I didn't think that was interesting. But yeah, Ro- no, there's not many songs that have been covered by Primus Pitch Shifter... <laughs> Robbie and Williams, Williams and the band that did Friends. No. It's weird, isn't it? What an interesting Venn diagram that XTC land in. Yeah, somewhere it between is. a kind of yeah stoner fisherman and Butlin's Redcoats. <laughs> yeah, via Nottingham-based industrial anarcho-metal <laughs> yeah, band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fucking b- bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. But, I mean, if you haven't heard this song before, like, for me, this is definitely the best version although to be honest i haven't heard the novel vague version so i have to yeah you might be in your words next week mate yeah um but this is the best version and xtc are brilliant they're just mm. brilliant really great really definitely great. a band i need to explore more definitely yeah, i think i, I think yeah. so definitely what have you been listening to then sam go on tell us go on well, I've been listening to, if we're talking about sort of jagged, angular, you know, really quite um, impressive and complex uh, artistic statements, you can't get much better than Prehistoric Dog by Red Fang. The first song from their self-titled 2009 album that I noticed on Wikipedia is listed as a compilation album released by Sergeant mm. House rather than a debut. I was not aware of that because, to be honest, Red Fang are not a band that I'm absolutely in love with. Um, I've got a very low tolerance, I think, when it comes to stoner rock because so often I'll be listening to it and I'll be like, this is good, but why am I not just listening to Master of Reality or Dope Smoker or whatever? You know, there are a sort of scant number of stoner bands that I actually reach for. I'd say Boss Keloid have been a contemporary one who I absolutely mm-hmm. love. Metal Down the Inch, I think, is perfect. But um, <laughs> basically, I was walking home from work on Friday and I'm off to see... Uh, Pigs by Several at some point soon because they're playing in Leicester. And I listened to their new album uh, and I guess this is my short review of it. I got halfway through the first song and I just thought I could be listening to something else and I chose to put on (laughs) the prehistoric dog by Red Fang because this song is an absolute banger. Um, I mean, I don't know what your experience is with Red Fang as a band, Steve, but I discovered them and I would have first heard this song live at um, the Nick Ryan's LCR at UEA in Norwich when uh, they opened for Mastodon. Uh, on the Hunter tour, because there are three universal truths. There's death, taxes, and Red Fang opening for Mastodon. We mm-hmm. all know these to be true. Yep. Um, so yeah, the first time I would have heard that superb verse of dogs that howl from outer space come to lay the earth to waste. Fucking brilliant. Would have been live with a bunch of sweaty yokels in Norwich, like myself. And then you got annoyed at the Dillinger Escape Plan, didn't you? I did get annoyed at the Dillinger stupid Escape Plan. Child. Night, yeah. idiot. Stupid oh, idiot. Stupid idiot child. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I'll go into that gig in a bit more depth on the Crack the Sky special yeah, uh, sure. when we talk about Mastodon. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this song's just fantastic, isn't it? It's everything you want in Stoner. It's got those sort of dual-tracked reverbing vocals. It's got big meaty riffs. It's got the huge breakdown at the end. Um, bit of whittle. Yeah. A little bit of whittle. A little bit of whittle. I mean, nothing wrong with a bit of whittle. Nothing wrong with a bit of whittle. No, Love a bit of whittle when used sparingly. Use sparingly and consentingly, I think. Yeah, I think that's yeah, probably yeah, the, the, the right way. Just remember, <laughs> if you're going to whistle, be safe, guys. Be safe with your <laughs> Make sure it's legal like and be safe. Make sure it's leaving, yes, and consensual. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing about Red Fang is, to me, they at their best, classic Red Fang is basically where you split Clutch and Baroness right down the middle. Mm. So you get that kind of very stonery, but kind of epic expansive explorative thing that baroness do 
whilst also just doing very, very catchy, super southern fried, brilliant, idiosyncratic, sludgy southern rock. And Mm. that's what this is. Big riff, really catchy, heavy and satisfyingly metallic without ever really being extreme. Feels like it could be the sort of thing that you would get at Desert Fest, obviously, or Ramblin' Man, or even <laughs> yeah. Bloodstock. You know, I think that's a, oh, that's yeah. a, that's the sort of the the fact that they can kind of go into all of those places is one of the things I like a lot about Red Fang. I've got to be honest, I like Red Fang, right? I do. I, I like Red Fang. I think every album probably has one or two songs. I mean, save for the one that came out a couple of years ago, which I didn't yeah, was I good didn't at like all. It was a bit all, of a yeah. bummer at all. But like Only Ghosts, right? I remember being like, oh, it's fucking excellent. Flies, Cut It Short. I mean, Cut It Short is fucking absolutely amazing. I absolutely love that song. you got like um, uh, Blood Like Cream on Wells and Leeches is an absolute banger. Obviously, Wires is huge um, from uh, from Murder on the Mountains. Uh, sorry, Murder the Mountains, not on the mountains. That's almost a bit. Go Murder on the Mountains, <laughs> which nobody needs. Uh, yeah. So I think they're a band who are very, very good. I'm a bit like you. Do I need six seven albums of red fang not really what i need mm. is a red fang like a greatest hit set and they are fucking ace live they so really ace. are yeah, yeah yeah i saw them at hellfest in i want to say 2016 uh so i should i should say that uh and i will <laughs> 2016 i saw them in 2016 at hellfest playing on the big main stage the massive main stage and i think it was ramstein headlining that night oh yeah, I think it was Ramstein headlining that night. Mm. And they were brilliant, Red Fang. They played it about sort of half one, two in the afternoon when it was like baking hot afternoon sun and you just were kind of halfway through that second or maybe even third beer of the afternoon Ooh. towards the end of the festival. Just and the you, eight pints for you. Just the eight pints for me, not many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> podcast hosts and co-hosts on Drunken Festival, <laughs> Drunken festival. Day Shock Out. Horror. Shock yeah. Horror. Um <laughs> And it was it was just brilliant. It was really really good, and they just they just smashed it. It was it mm. was great. They are that is the optimum time to see Red Fang, and I think when when they whacked this out, people mm. were like banging their st- stupid French heads. <laughs> so well, yeah, prehistoric st- stupid <laughs> mate. That was deliberate. That was actually yeah, deliberate. Yeah. Speaking of st- not very stupid French heads, um, I am pretty sad. I have to say. So I said last week i couldn't go to gajira and i've basically been sulking because i couldn't i couldn't go to gajira um because of ali pali really i wouldn't have had to get yeah. home and i live a long way away so either i reckon either move or just don't ever let anyone play ali pali or both yeah. close well yeah a bit of both yeah yeah bit of definitely both in it close the venue down for sure definitely close the venue down <laughs> um bands i like please don't play ali pali uh that'd be my suggesting to you um so i was pretty I, I missed this i've been waiting for this for years and it comes around and i missed it and bless i want to say thank you to kirsten who does their press who actually emailed me on the day and went do you want to go you, we can i can still get you in and i was like that kind of actually it, it hurt even more makes it worse it actually yeah. hurt because kirsten's lovely and she was like do you want to go see trivium and all the trains are fucked do you want to go see gajira and <laughs> i couldn't get back in time and then I was on holiday and she was like, oh, do you want to get a co-ed? And I'm scared she's going to stop asking, basically, when I can well, go. Well, Kirsten, you can ask me every time. Ask, always ask Sam. Always ask me. Yeah. 
I wanted to go. <laughs> I'm fucking furious that I couldn't go. And I shouldn't be taking up all this time talking about how I didn't go when Sam did go. So off you off you go. Make me jealous, Sam. What what happened at Gajira? Well, I I would like to lie, so Steve, and say, oh, don't worry about it, mate. But it was fucking brilliant is the short version. So uh, it was at the most point uh, arena in Nottingham. The last time I went there was Machine Head and the Monomath, which I remember noting was... Um, very very quiet like i would say under half full if you're being sort of generous it was a very very quiet night so i was interested to see how uh the evening was going to go especially with two support bands who aren't maybe massive draws i mean obviously i know uh employed to serve have a a decent sized fan base in the uk but uh, it's their first time in arenas i would imagine it's alien weaponries although they may have done some they may have done some gigs for big bands in a support capacity i'm not 100 and i know it's certainly gojira's first arena run in the uk so it was an interesting sort of proposition to get in there. Um, I would say by the time Gojira were on, um, the place was probably about three quarters full. So that was really heartening to see. But Employed to Serve came out. I was really excited to see them because uh, I fucking love Employed to Serve. Um, I particularly like the first three albums. I think Conquering is good, but that move for the more sort of death metal approach. It, it's something that I'm less taken with, but I think they do it really well. So fair play. And I can understand why they leaned on that stuff more for the set list because... It's a bit more anthemic when you get a song like Universal Chokehold or Exist, uh, even though they didn't actually play Exist, if I remember rightly, uh, which I was a bit surprised by. However, the issue for Employed to Serve that I found was, and it breaks my heart to say it, because I've probably seen them, I don't know, best part of 10 times uh, from sort of toilet venues in Leicester up to now the Nottingham Motor Point Arena. Um, they didn't fare as well as I felt they should have done, uh, predominantly due to a muddy sound mix. And when you are playing that kind of yes anthemic but still quite technical death metal inspired stuff when you're losing the intricacy of those riffs um it just didn't carry in the way that i would hope it would i'd say i was about a third of the way back from the stage couldn't hear much at all my mates who did go down to the very front said that it sounded great there but it's like if it's not going to carry through you can't really win over the the sort of um the idle passers-by and the people who've turned up for doors just because they want to go and support every band which to be fair there were a fair amount of people there i think they probably won over some new fans but it wasn't quite what I was hoping for uh, in terms of just the impact that I felt they should have given. And I did also, um, I lamented a little bit that we didn't get, at least I spend my days from Warmth of a Dying Sun. I can understand why they wouldn't because maybe it wouldn't translate to an arena as well. But I think given the kind of, the muddy mix they had, that big sludgy riff probably would have hammered home a lot harder than something like Force Fed or Ode Zero. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fair play to them. I can't wait to see sort of how they'll progress. And hopefully they have won over a load of new fans. And by all accounts, they absolutely smashed it at Ali Pali. And everyone absolutely loved them. They got a really, really big crowd and a really good reception. So that's great. Yeah. On the flip side, um, so Alien Weaponry. I basically, I find their albums quite boring. I think they're pretty meat and potatoes metal. I think they do something kind of interesting, but not brilliantly executed. And I think a lot of their songs are too long for their own good. And I remember the buzz around them when they released their debut and they were playing the main stage at Download and stuff. And it was like, is this all just a bit of a gimmick because they're young, basically? Are they getting championed because they're 16 and they've written a sort of quite good metal album? Because that's not really enough to like hang all your hopes on. And they came out and they were doing The Hacker. Obviously, they're a band from New Zealand. They take a lot from that Maori culture. And I did think, oh, God, is this going to be a bit kind of... I don't want to say gimmicky because obviously they're not putting it on. That is their culture. That is what they pull from and that is what inspires their music. But I did think this could be a bit of a slog. And fuck me, Stephen Hill. Alien weaponry are 
fucking brilliant live. They got... Oh, man, they yeah, got... I saw them before the album came out at Bloodstock on that second stage, which was packed, and they were fucking great. Like, again, I've not really listened to them that much on record, but live, no. they are really good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't say it's really inspired me to go back to listen to the albums, because I, I do find them just a little bit kind of ploddy and dull, but they, that material that they've got is clearly m- made to be played live, and it's almost like... When Bob Rock approached Metallica, it's like, look, you've got the songs, but you need a production and you need a kind of, um, I don't know, editorial team behind you that can really translate that live energy. I think if Alien Weaponry could do that for their third album, they could be a serious uh, contender for like a massive, massive young metal band. But I tell you what, the power w- with which they played and the the whole room was on side. It was incredible. The circle pits they had during um, particularly their last two songs of the set not far off the size that Machine Head got when they were fucking headlining the place. It was brilliant. Um, I was blown away by them. I had to properly eat my words to my mate after I was saying, oh, this will be the 40 minute piss break then. But nope, I was dead wrong. But of course, even with a performance like that that did surprise me so much, nothing was going to compare to Gojira that night. And um, there was a little bit of, I don't know... um, I suppose there's been some sort of online murmuring, maybe some discussion and thought outside of the discourse around merch prices. Oh, for the record, did get my mum a long sleeve because she couldn't go. Uh, so fuck you lot. I care more about, you know, treating people than I do about saving my pennies from these evil bands who are just as bad as Burzum, the bastards. Anyway, the other thing that people have been talking about online, I think there has been a bit of perhaps concern that maybe Gojira weren't quite ready for arenas because it's quite a jump from where they were last playing in the UK. So the last time I saw them would have been at the O2 Academy in Birmingham, uh, the worst venue on the planet for the record. That was a horrible uh, experience as a gig, apart from the fact that Gojira were there. But that's, you know, something to put to one side because they're never going back there now. They are firmly in arenas. Anyone who had any worries, obviously, Gojira, the best live metal band on the planet. They absolutely assuaged that as soon as they came on with Born For One Thing. It was like, yeah, this band are made for these size venues. They've taken to it like a canard sauvage to aqua, which is French for water. Oh, nice. Aquavita, the yeah, water yeah, yeah. of the... Like an uh. enormous fox's glacier mint. But honestly, mate, <laughs> the set list, I mean, we all... I probably don't need to tell you quite why Gojira is so brilliant live. They are just the tightest band. They're so muscular, so powerful. Just every... Note perfect. I don't need to go into it too much. I think I'll probably just tell you the set list, which was absolutely fucking insane. So Born for One Thing, Heaviest Matter of the Universe, Backbone, Stranded. Oh. That's your oh. opening four, mate. Oh. Fuck me. Honestly, my neck was already snapped. You go home then and you've seen a brilliant gig, right? You've still had an amazing fucking night. But then, I mean, Flying Whales. When they, they went into Flying Whales straight after Stranded, it absolutely popped off. I uh, went into the mosh pit against my better judgment. I managed to stay up until someone fell on me because it was just that raucous and uh, my back really fucking hurts now. But Didn't a large gentleman fall on you, Sam? A slightly rotund gentleman who, um, bless him, did the same thing that anyone would do who sort of like grasped to try and keep himself up even though there's nothing to hold mm-hmm. on to and brought someone else down on top of him. So I was proper flattened and I'm only oh uh, slight by name and nature. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, ah, great banter. Yeah. Uh. I think if I had one criticism of the set and it's not even... Not even a criticism of the set, it's just that I think the pace dropped out a little bit when they got to grind, just because it's one of the less good tracks on Fortitude as far as the heavy ones go. And basically everything that came either side of it is absolute dyed-in-the-wool classic. So if you've got The Art of Dying and Another World on either side of it, grind was going to suffer a little bit. The mood dipped a little bit in the room, but not massively. Um, Our Time Is Now, the standalone single that they've released post-Fortitude, sounded fucking monstrous. That that's going to be in their set for a long time until 
well until the next album if the next album follows suit in that um highlight for me definitely the chant i feel absolutely vindicated because i was saying they should be ending their sets with that and they didn't they did it uh, penultimate in the main set but the golden glitter explosion and the pyro and the joyousness of singing that big chant absolutely fucking brilliant and of course we get the gift of guilt the best gojira song to end the entire night um someone tweeted at me not long after the show had finished and said just seen Gojira at Motorpoint. They ended with the gift of guilt. And I'm, I'm guessing that Sam's like absolutely transcended reality when that happened. And I very much did. I had to have my hand over my mouth when I wasn't s- screaming every word along because I was almost in floods of tears. It was a really special moment. Um, Gojira just get better every time I see them. This was no different. I would love to know just how well they got on at Ali Pali. You know, a, ve- a venue that famously can be a bit ropey for sound. And mm-hmm. is a pain to get to. Um, so the fact that so many people are turning out, I think that says there's a hell of a groundswell behind Gojira. So get them subbing at download so that they can headline in a few years, innit? They've de- they more yeah. than earned it. They've more than earned it. Fucking li- the best metal band. Would like that, yeah. Um, yeah. Wish so, you could so, tell you how they sorry got Sorry you couldn't go, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Having a life is awful. Basically. It does suck. I agree. Uh, I liked when I didn't have to do anything apart from go to gigs. Yeah, the good old and days. Yeah. Oh well, you know I'll be they dead might, soon. They hopefully. might play the uh, village scout hut down the road from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might do. Know. Yeah, they might do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. If 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 if, if download won't book them, then no. uh, the Overton Memorial Institute certainly will. <laughs> Don't worry about they that. Will do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've you know I have seen. I've seen Edwin Starr down there, so the least I could do. If it's good enough for him, come on. If it's good enough for Edwin Starr, then it's good enough for Gajira. Anyway, um, let's move on. I'm I'm like I've got the biggest FOMO I've had in a long time. Uh, Let's do. There's not much news really that I can be bothered to talk about. Let's do a really quick Healy watch. Really, really quick because he's been up to some stuff, and I tell you, we I feared for his life. A few weeks ago, didn't we? We feared for his life because he was saying that, you know, basically telling Liam and Noel Gallagher, Gallagher mm. to grow up and you think you don't do that. There'll be repercussions. Liam Gallagher has come back. Uh, somebody on Twitter called uh, Red90097854. Don't uh, think that's his Christian name, I'll be honest. I don't think it is, no. Uh, he says, about your return, Matty Healy says he's just wasting your time and you should stop being like children. What do you think? And Liam Gallagher said, it's our time to waste. Who made him the boss of time? <laughs> it's a fair point. It's not... A, he's, he's not Horus. I was expecting... <laughs> he's not, is he? Uh, I was expecting a bit more than that, to be honest. Yeah, it's a shame, Do you think Liam it? Gallagher yeah. is waiting for revenge to be a dish best served cold do you think do you think he's biding his time i think liam gallagher famously a uh, not very reactionary person so i think that's probably on the money yeah he rarely flies yeah. off the handle does he so yeah he doesn't yeah. so there was that but so that for, that's kind of small fry compared with uh, matt healy and youngblood getting into beef oh you, seen this? He, you were scared for him with the 40 year olds in their parkers mate you gotta watch out for the twinks in their skinny jeans he's youngblood. gonna get absolutely battered now the first bit of this passed me by because apparently Matt Healy got a load of shit for being on a podcast called The Adam Friedland Show. Now, I don't know who Adam Friedland is and you'd think I would have Googled him before we started recording, but I haven't haven't done that. Oh, he's a comedian. Apparently he's a comedian. Um, let's have Not a look a at his... So, you know. Let's have a look at his face. He's sort of nerdy looking man. Yeah. 
one of the twenty somethings who'd stand up for Russell Howard. One of them. Is he? I don't. Yeah, I don't no know. idea. Don't know who he is. Don't know who he is. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, don't know who he is. But basically, apparently, he went on. I haven't. I haven't heard the clip. But apparently, Matt Healy went on and was just a bit of a of bellend on a tosser, this podcast, yeah. right? Yeah, of course, he was a tosser. And uh, apparently, he's doing acts. Well, it says he was. He was uh, impersonating accents of countries and regions like Inuit, Chinese, and Hawaiian. Right. Ooh, like, hard to play that off well, isn't it? Well, I mean, I, I guess so. Yeah, mm. I guess so. I mean, I am one of those people who think if you can you do a Bur- patois, and that's fine. Yeah, if you can do if you can do a <laughs> Scottish or, or or Birmingham accent, you can do accents. You can yeah. either do accent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be a stickler for this. You can either do everybody's accent or nobody's accent. It's explain. either. A f- I'm sorry, but it, it, that's explain. Was that the elevator? No, no, I was going to say, was that the elevator pitch for copycats? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, basically. Uh, Well, you don't have to dress up like them, but I think, you know, like like I said before, I had a make, when I used to work on the bus tours in about 15 years ago, my mate Charles Mm. was from the Cameroon. And he right. had a lovely voice, and I lo- and his voice he had to good. And I, I used to do his voice. I used to do impressions of him. Right. But I just used to, in a in a very lovingly way. Yeah, yeah. And pe- but if people go, oh, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. You know, go. Oh, I like that person's accent, so I'll do it because I like the sound of it. Mm. That's that's racist. But if I go, yeah, man, I'm, I'm on Twitch and because I'm a big dickhead. Like, <laughs> you're allowed to do that because that's like Cockney knobhead, right? Well, that's not offensive, yeah. but I'm being offensive to that person, and I'm not being offensive to the other one. So I don't, I don't understand. I think you can either do, surely the context of how you do the accent is the 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 whole purpose of it, right? Oh yeah, totally. But it's Matt Healy. He's such a tosser that I can't. He imagine probably he was did. doing so it in I a don't know. sensitive I, manner. So I don't know. But anyway, basically, Youngblood tweeted: "Love listening to three privileged white dudes sit around and objectify a young black female artist who's blowing up." Welcome to your thirties, I guess. Um, now I don't know if that is what happened. I imagine because it's Youngblood saying it. I imagine he is sort of ramped that up to. But then also because it's Matty Healy, maybe he hasn't. Should listen to the podcast. I'm not listening to the podcast. Don't, <laughs> no, don't care. Yeah. Um, podcast is for losers. We yeah, all know it. and and then Matt Healy did uh, a video which I thought impersonating Youngblood, where he put two things saying emo below his eyes, nice. and then he's going basically going, "Oh, someone's blown themselves up in the Ukraine, and we're not going to stand for that because we're the underrated youth fucking generation." <laughs> and then took the piss out of him. Most people are going, "Oh, you shouldn't. it's just because he called you out for your terrible racism." Um, you daft racist. Uh, <laughs> you daft racist. Now. Uh, like I don't really uh, like I don't really know what's gone on here, but what I do know is when I watched the video of Matt Healy taking a piss out of Youngblood, I laughed. That's fair enough. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, there there is a chance that Matt Healy might have been being sort of culturally insensitive and perhaps even derogatory, mm-hmm. but I don't want to side with Youngblood. That's the tough one, isn't it? <sighs> I don't want to side with Youngblood. No, it'd be like we Ricky were doing a charity gig. It'd be like, no, I'm, I'm not going to donate to that because you're such a bell end. Even though it's a very, you know, kind of noble cause, it's you, isn't it? Don't know about that, mate. Probably for animals. So that's the sort of thing we do. Cap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably would be for animals at Ricky Gervais, and in that no, case, right. I'm happy to do it. I'm not seeing anything I give. It's the only charity I give my money to. Fuck all you humans. <laughs> all my money's going to cats and donkeys. 
Is that the new Sorry, cat decapitation album? Fuck <laughs> yeah. all your humans. Fuck all your humans. I'm giving all my money to cats and donkeys. The yes, new absolutely. album from Cattle Decapitation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So quick Healy watch because we don't we have we don't have the facts here. Really, it's a problem. Is without listening to what he said on this podcast, which just sort of completely passed me by. Mm. Um, we don't just really think- know what he did, but I'm going to say whatever he did, it's all right to take the piss out of young blood. Yeah, definitely. Do you think uh, Adam Friedland is more or less funny than us? Ergo, do you think Matty Healy might come and chat to us instead? Well, look, I did send an aggressive tweet towards Matty Healy saying, oh, if you know so much about Converge, why don't you come on here and talk about them? (laughs) And he he didn't respond, funnily enough. But then he probably gets tweeted by a lot of people. But we would try and get Matty. It would be the dream, wouldn't it? It would be the dream to do like... Live Healy Watch. Can you imagine going, we're doing Healy Watch right now because he's here. Let's <laughs> What's watch he going to do? What's oh, he going to do? And then he just sort of sit there. Do you think we could really, I think we could proper weird him out if we did that. It's not I much that could, I think yeah. would weird Matty Healy out, but I reckon we could we could weird him out. Yeah. In, in the middle of a chat about like, go, go on December then. or something, we yeah. just go like, your, try something racist. <laughs> yeah. What's your favourite Poison the Well album? And why yeah. do you hate Chinese people so much? <laughs> uh, anyway, look. Um, oh, Matty. Yeah, we de- it's always worth a little chuckle, isn't it? To bring Absolutely. up Matt Healy, have a little yeah. chuckle at him. But let's do some bloody reviews and then get the fuck out of here. We're going to start, Sam, and I hope you don't mind. Big moment for you, this. Code Orange, what is really underneath? A whacking Code Orange at the top of some albums have actually come out this week. And some albums by, you know, legit fucking megastars like mm. Pink. Because fuck it. Because I love them. Now, every podcast you listening have heard me do, I suspect, you've basically had to listen to someone who's not Sam, someone else, various other people, sort of sit there and listen to me bang on about how great Code Orange are. Mm. And now, Sam, I'm proud to say that it's your turn to listen to me go on about how fucking great Code Orange are. Because even though... It's been three years since Underneath came out and we are waiting for, you know, more material for live shows. We haven't seen any of that shit yet. Even though the spectrum of what we do as a podcast has broadened out and we have occasionally gone, ah, heavy music, you know, it's kind of not maybe in as good a place as it was a few years ago. We're maybe a little bit less interested. There are other things we become more interested in. For me, Code Orange are still the band in heavy music. I know some people might say Turnstile. I think that's great. I can't ignore what Turnstile have done over the last few years. It's been absolutely amazing. But still for me, Code Orange of the band. I know people might say, bring me the rise and look how much bigger they've got and all the things they've done. It is amazing. And whilst I respect the commercial strides and success that bring me the rise and have had, it's still Code Orange. Some people might say it's Sleep Token and Bad Omens. And to them I say, ha 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 ha. <laughs> you fucking... You fucking idiot. It's Code Orange. It's Code Orange. They're yes. the they're yes, the band. Uh, they're the band. It's Code Orange. That's just what I think. Uh I mean I agree less aggressively, but I do agree, definitely. I think uh Turnstile definitely be a good shout in terms of bringing uh, you know, the kind of punk ethos, punk aesthetic and doing it on um well, artistically a brilliant level. And then also, I mean, just the the quantum leaps they've made in terms of um, popularity. I mean, the idea that, you know, they were playing the ULU in London just before COVID and <laughs> now they're doing kind of... <laughs> Would have been Brixton, mon- yeah. 
Well, yeah, would be Brixton, but they're now doing, you know, like bi-monthly appearances on the fucking late night with Seth Meyers show. It's like they, they've done well. But yeah, I think in terms of artistic exploration, uh, sort of combination of genres, sort of interpolation of different ideas and stuff like that, I don't think anyone really comes close to Code Orange. And so in terms of the stuff that I listen to anyway, but I feel like if there was a band out there doing it better, I probably would have heard of them by now because... Uh, I, I like this music inherently. I think Code Orange are absolutely marvellous. I think Underneath mm. is still one of the best albums that has been released this decade. Um, it's uh, And the fact that they followed up Forever, which was monumental, was something oh. that makes it kind of pale in comparison. Yeah, mate, I'm totally with you. Code Orange are the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And this is essentially a remix album that comes along as a companion piece too, Underneath. Um, you know... All of the stuff that's been going on, uh, I feel like we've been surviving on scraps of Code Orange since that album came out a little bit because of the pandemic and, you know, not being able to get live shows and blah, 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 blah. But they are still, frankly, like I say, my favourite heavy band in mm-hmm. the world right now. And the remix album is a tough one to get right. It's another thing where you go, you know, is this an essential thing? It can be Things Falling Apart by Night Nails or it can be whatever that Limp Biscuit one was that came out. I mean, I think... That that's a distinction enough. You get some where you go, this is just a waste of time. And you get some where you go, do you know what? This is a really, really, really interesting sort of destruction and then rebuild of mm. the the piece that it was sort of inspired by. And I think this is a great, great remix album. Certainly the best remix album I have heard I can't even remember how long. I mean, well, you 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 were quite a fan of Black Stallion, if I remember the Deftones White Pony remix. Album. Yes, yes, I'd yeah. fucking forgotten about that. Yeah, no, oh, that really? is oh, that is excellent. Yeah, that is absolutely mm. excellent. I think this is definitely of comparable quality to that. I think, yeah, Black Stallion is. Yeah, you're. Yeah, right. I don't know. I forgot about that. I, I think I was thinking of recent albums, and so it just sort of it never popped in my head. But yeah, yeah. things falling apart. You know. Um, the broken fixed further down spiral further basically down spiral, anything yeah. anything nine inch nails do and then like remanufacture at the time was good i've not listened to remanufacture for a long time but back in the day it was good but i think you know like no one really makes them makes these sort of records anymore this is distinct enough but also catchy and related enough to the original material that i think it just fucking rules and it's it's not as sometimes, you know, like Black Stallion, as much as I love it, it's the out al- it's the album done in order, you know, and it's yeah, the songs yeah. just remixed and done in order. Well, this isn't really that. This is kind of everything just shattered to pieces and then placed back into odd, unusual little places where you wouldn't expect it. And it doesn't always rely solely on the the normal pattern of the song like sometimes whole songs are uh, thrown away and are rebuilt from a guitar riff or a vocal Mm -hmm. hook or whatever and i think you know that is the way to do it it is really really great i mean we start with a reworking of the title track um drowning in it um with loads of broken beats and all this propulsive synth and that glitchy thing that code orange has sort of become a bit of Code Orange's like calling card a little bit. Yeah. It only really happens with Reba's vocals. Like they don't really lean on it too much. So when people go like, oh, they just do loads of glitchy stuff. It's like, well, they don't here. 
They no. don't hear at all, apart from a little bit on the vocals, and that's a, a fairly standard, common thing to use in electronic music <laughs> and remixes. Full stop. So I don't think you can really throw that at them at all. Um, I mean, again, my my personal favourite song on underneath is "Easy Way," which yeah, is yeah, so below yeah, on yeah. this, which turns into this kind of brooding electro electro synth pop banger with all this sort of shuffly beats and liquid bass, and it's got like Nine Inch Nails style keys in the middle of it um it is hard to escape the comparisons to nine inch nails isn't it on this really yeah i think if ever there was any doubt that um code orange uh liked nine inch nails a lot i think it, it has to go out the window at this point like when i put it on that first track um uh drowning in it uh it, it was like am i listening to kind of pretty hate machine by way of further down the spiral in a in a very very good way obviously that's you know, a high, uh, a massive compliment. Talking about the band that were arguably my favourite band at the moment, as we as we sit here in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three. Um, I mean, to be drawing those comparisons, uh, not just in terms of sound, but in terms of quality and imagination, I think more than deserved. But yeah, I do think um, this certainly leans more on the industrial side of what Code Orange do, but also a lot of the ambient side. Um, so I've seen a few people sort of. I mean, some people have been lamenting that it's been three years and there was a bit of sort of like tease and hype and everything. And then it's just a remix album. But it's really not like it is very much a companion piece in the sense that it kind of closes out the chapter on underneath, which in some ways I hope it does, because I would like to hear more sort of original compositions, uh, you know, kind of more new songs, essentially is what I mean. But then what we have got here, they basically are new songs and it's interesting that you point out the easy way, which I completely agree is my favorite moment on underneath, which is an absolute 10 out of 10 album. Um, but the easy way, the, the main hook of that is an interpolation from something they were doing on the three knives EP anyway. So they've Mm. always sort of like been reflexive and pulling back from what they're doing anyway. So I think to say that it's just a remix album is very short sighted and maybe says that you've not been listening properly without wanting to sound like a wanker. Um, but I've never worried about sounding like a wanker before. So that's fine. Um, I think this is, yeah, really strong indeed. I think it's interesting to see this as a kind of counter to what they've been doing in terms of the kind of post underneath material. Because really what we've got, we've got Out for Blood, which to be honest, I wasn't massively taken with that kind of new metal, wrestle metal throwback. And then they've done Shatter, that uh, second Mm -hmm. theme for Bray Wyatt, having done The Fiend. Uh, And going down that route, I think, cool, if that's going to bring in a bigger audience and make more people listen to Code Orange, that's fine. It's just not for me. Uh, similar to, I guess, conquering with employed to service. Like they're doing something that hopefully will draw more people in. I just don't like it quite as much. But then we've got this and it shows that they're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And it just makes me um, ridiculously excited for whatever the next thing they're going to do is going to be. Because, yeah, this does pull from industrial as much as it does ambient. And I've seen people in amongst their kind of slight disappointment that it's a remix album saying well remix albums they're just kind of electronic the shorthand for remix is that you just kind of make it ambient and then put vocal samples on it's like well i suppose in some cases that can be can be the kind of shorthand for remix but i don't think that's what they've done here at all as you say it is total deconstruction and then kind of assembling different building blocks i mean so many of these songs take from three or four tracks across underneath and smush them into a new composition the only thing that is really uh, well in terms of dna compositionally the only thing you can hear is when they have large sort of sections of vocal samples those are the only real comparative points i think this is really cool and i think again it shows that code orange is just a really really intelligent and interesting band yeah i mean in in terms of the the recent material uh out for blood and, sh- and uh the bray wyatt theme I, I think like i would be 
staggered. I mean, I, I'm going to go as far to to say you shouldn't expect that. I wouldn't, to be honest. Like when they did release Out for Blood at first, I was thinking, oh no, are they kind of going to like sand off the edges and go a bit more straightforward? It's like, well, even if they do, whatever. I've still got Forever and Underneath, and I Am King, which I do really like as well. Yeah, um, it just not up to the par of the two incredible albums that followed it. But uh, I, I don't suspect they would. I think Code Orange. I think it's a fool's errand to guess what Code Orange are going to do. I think trying to assume their direction is just you're going to be disappointed or bewildered either way yeah i think it shows you know i I would be very kind of i would dismiss the opinion of somebody who said oh remix albums are just electronic versions of the songs like that's not what this is at all now look the nine inch nails thing right it's to just sort of go back to that for a second like the cutters theme it sounds like it sounds like Nine Inch Nails. Now, if that were just a case of ripping someone off, you could go, ah, you know, it's a real rip-off and it's not really worth it. But I think that there are certain artists on this planet that it is so hard to get their specific sound right um, that I'm actually impressed at how they have got so close to sounding like a particular era of a band who, let's be honest, are so amazing like everything that that Nine Inch Nails do, whether you love them or you're not that fussed by that type of music, you cannot deny that they are so instantly recognisable. And, and Trent Reznor has such kind of clear fingerprints all over his own material that mm. if you are, you know, look, Code Orange aren't fucking idiots. They know that this is going to be compared to Nine Inch Nails. They probably yeah. know that it sounds a bit like Nine Inch Nails. But I think if you are going to go down that kind of, you know, they're the band who kind of created the blueprint for industrialized deconstructions of their own material, right? Which is what you get here. So those mm-hmm. comparisons are going to be quite apt. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This is not the same as a Corn remix or, you know, the fucking DJ spooky remix of Metallica or something. It's not the same <laughs> thing. It is a legit, like, deconstruction and, you know, reworking of that material. And they're not the only band that I think this is sort of related to i think you get um down we go sort of takes a bit of sort of in the rabbit hole and turns it into a sort of almost ramstein style militaristic march but it takes a long time to actually turn into that like the restraint mm. they show on it is really cool you get a lot of you get a, you know kind of prismatic shame um takes sulfur surrounding and slows it right down until it's this sort of ambient shimmering synth led it's, I was going to say synth pop thing then, but it's more like a kind of almost like soundtracky sort of Vangelis type thing. Mm. There's bits that remind me of the Downward Spiral. There's bits that remind me of Pretty Hate Machine. But that is a massive compliment because those yeah, albums absolutely. are so fucking distinct. Um, there's there's a bit in Smaller Every Day, and I think that is a really kind of nightmarish sounding song, um, which really detaches it from um what a silver used to be i think and but i I felt like they used a bit of a sample like talking about like using different samples from different bits Mm. i was like is that the start of bleeding in the blur you know that kind of before the drums kick in and bleeding in the blur yeah there's echoing guitars yeah yeah Yeah, and i was like is that that like kind of manipulated into something else i don't know that it is but i think the fact that you're going hold on is that an echo of you know yeah you could go ah rob zombie and ministry and uh, nine inch nails and you know like deftones and stuff like that but ultimately like this is harking back and taking from code orange themselves so it's like Mm. a kind of 
it's like a snake eating its own tail yeah, like they yeah. are sort of feasting on themselves a little bit here and i think they've done enough over those two albums to have created such a kind of sonic like this kind of massive sonic melting pot of stuff already that when you're just taking one bit from it one tiny little bit and then turning it into something else it's i remember hearing remanufacture and going oh this is self-biased resistor but it's got a big beat behind it oh this is that and it's it's actually a, this is a lot more subtle than that it's mm. not as obvious it's one of the i think it's it's weirdly it's one of the most arresting and yet also one of the most subtle sounding um remix albums i've ever heard because i don't always know which song and i don't always know if you're going oh this is underneath but it's remixed well sometimes mm. you don't even know where you are on the album yeah absolutely i mean and as you say i think with black stallion which i i certainly didn't like as much as you i thought it had some great moments uh i thought some of it it was a bit like uh, this is kind of just an anniversary piece rather than um an artistic statement on its own but i think like you said the fact that it's not in chronological order as we heard and underneath means that it is a distinct thing and it is very much a companion piece more so than even a remix album like it's just yeah like you say it's that ouroboros of uh code orange eating their own tail and i, I look forward to seeing what they poo out when they've finished <laughs> yeah me too i mean like there's bits in it as well you know a thin reflective line it goes for that kind of late 70s giorgio Moroder kind of th throb and it has a bit of craft work on it it's maybe the most melodically ambient and easily digestible thing they've ever done Quite ever possibly. you know yeah. even more so than the 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 new metal like stuff mm. that they've done over the i say new metal in quotation marks because yeah. probably don't want to be referred to as a new metal band so i understand that but um you know i think in ter again in terms of like how rich and beautiful it sounds and how like kind of how much is going on throughout all of it i mean yeah i think this is fucking amazing i think this is fucking amazing of course you're listening to this and you're listening to me and you're going yeah well you would say that wouldn't you you would say that and yeah you're right i would say that but i'm not saying like if they do make something which isn't very good i will i promise you i promise you i will say ah i'm not that keen on this i'm not that keen on it right i mean look i think out for blood is a banger to be fair. fair is it their best song ever is it their best song absolutely definitely not but it's still a banger and the fact is it's just a, it's just a song isn't it like this is fucking great i mean is mm. this essential you look at kind of remix albums is it essential i mean to me for me it is. I think this is essential. I guess it depends on how much you like this band. And for me, it's a fucking total no-brainer. And it's one of the few times where I've gone, uh, you, you've kind of got this spot on. So mm. for me, because I love Code Orange so much, more than any other heavy band, I think this is perfect. I think they're actually... They, the less interested I get in just listening to heavy music, the more interested I get in Code Orange. It's understandable because they do pull from so many other places, don't they? And then they heavy it up and kind of make it more ugly. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say, like, unless you've only got a passing interest in Code Orange, yeah, this is essential. And I would say, if we're talking about kind of, to go back to the Nine Inch Nails comparison, if we're talking about kind of companion pieces to absolute masterpieces, I'd say this is kind of closer to uh, further down the spiral than it is to the Fragile's companion piece. Even though I prefer the Fragile, I think this is a more interesting deconstruction of what Code Orange have done. And like you say, they're potentially even echoes of what they were doing on Forever. There might even be little ambient moments from I Am King hidden in there. I think it's one that's going to take a little while to pour over and really sort of get 
every single bit-rated sample out of. I assume it's self-produced, is it? It's uh, Shade and Jamie doing it, I would imagine. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've not looked at the production credits, but would have thought it would be. And ultimately, it sounds fucking brilliant. So even even in that respect, they've done a fucking bang-up job. It's well good. It is well good. Um, so there you go. Uh, what is really underneath by Code Orange? I mean, if you like Code Orange, I think you're going to just go mad and absolutely love this but if you don't well i don't really know what to say to you man <laughs> yeah i don't know what to say uh let's move on anyway there you go that's out now as is this trustful by pink the ninth studio album from the u.s pop superstar pink the follow-up to her 2019 album hurts to be human which i have to confess i have never listened to but i do like pink or rather, I did like Pink. I think Pink is cool as fuck. Misunderstood and Try This are both great kind of pop rocky um, mainstream albums mm. from that period. I think her debut, Can't Take Me Home, is pretty cool too. Haven't listened to everything of hers and I haven't really paid much attention to her output since Funhouse in 2008 because I didn't really care as much for I'm Not Dead in 2006. And then I thought Funhouse was probably not quite as good. But I still think and thought in those times, even when I became less invested in her, that she was a cool and extremely talented person. So I like Pink a lot. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Pink, Sam. Uh, I would say kind of similar trajectory in terms of listening. You know, I kind of listened to the early stuff. I would say, yeah, probably I'm Not Dead is where I maybe dropped off a little bit where it became a little bit less brash and a little bit less kind of obnoxious and in your face. Um, but I would say I like Pink, but not as much as you, I would say. I think she's a really cool pop star. It's a bit like when we were talking about um, Sam Smith and Lil Nas X, it's like, I really like what they stand for. I like what they represent and what they're doing. I just wish I liked the music more, basically. That's fair. So I think it's a shame that we have started <laughs> talking about Pink and reviewing this as the first thing of hers because... This is not great, this record. This is not no. great. Um, the opening song, when I get there, is a deeply confusing way to open this record, or any record. It's a little piano ballad that is very, very saccharine, very cheesy. And I think you would have to be... And not only is it not good, it's just confusing. I think you'd have to have, like, brains made of shit to consider this as the opening track on your album mm. it is bizarre that you would open your album with this song the only sort of justification i can think that might have been bandied around the production team or the studio or whatever is that because it is quite short it could be seen as a sort of like a sweet three minutes 20 uh, yeah okay maybe there maybe are not so one, short. Yeah. one two three four five six six of the 13 songs are shorter than this oh well there we go maybe it's because i found it so dull that it kind of washed over me and i assumed it wasn't going on for very long because that's the thing even when this album is not very good and quite boring i don't i don't find it drags i just find it a bit nothing which to be honest i think in some senses i would almost rather listen to a bad album than a nothing album i think when music is dull that is when it is its absolute worst unless it's like far abraham or broken side or whatever um but I could, yeah, I could kind of see it as a sort of, yeah, thematic introduction, even if it's not a strong one. But then it doesn't really hold the album together. The album's kind of all over the place. I mean, you've got those first four songs that are all 
broadly, like you say, sitting in that kind of, I don't know, countryfied sort of ballad thing. And it's like, well, if you're going to do that, you've got to be really, really good at it. And people who are really good at it, like Taylor Swift, haven't been doing it for the best part of half a decade. So why are you doing it now? Like it just it feels feels massively dated for an album. Like it feels like this album was dated the second it was released. Basically, it feels like it should have been released in two thousand fourteen, and even then, it wouldn't have been well. It wouldn't have been good, but it wouldn't have even been particularly sort of contemporary. So. I think the track listing is just unfathomable. I mm. cannot understand what Pink is thinking of to come in with the title track, um, which has got a little bit of an electro beat. But I mean, comparatively to when I get there, the first song, it's a bit more of a quote unquote banger, but it should bring the energy up massively and it doesn't. Mm. And then Turbulent starts with the riff from Jesse's Girl and then gets a bit <laughs> too broad again. Long Way to Go featuring the Lumineers is pure Taylor Trying to do Taylor Swift, Bon Iver yeah. thing. It doesn't work. It's actually a bad song. I think that is a bad song. And we get to track five, Kids in Love, which is a two and a bit minute long acoustic thing, which is decent enough, but it is a kind of two and a bit minute long acoustic thing it's a six out of ten song and it is the best song we've had in the first five tracks it's yeah. not until we get to never going to dance again and run away as a back-to-back where you get a bit of oomph and it's unfathomable to me why never going to dance again this kind of catchy upbeat disco-y song isn't the first or second song on the record and then you know run away is you know the best song on the album by far yeah, i think it's easy, a belinda easy. carlisle 80s synth throbber why are we waiting so long why are we waiting for track fucking six and seven before this album does anything like the first five songs i like to say are just are just dull they are mm. fucking dull the best song is a two and a half minute long acoustic cutesy song which is about a, a sort of six out of ten standard it makes no fucking sense at all and then, you know, we have a little bit of a kind of mid-album peak. bit of puff, yeah. peak. Yeah, yeah, you know, we get a kind of bit more kind of Shania Twain, um, sort of not awful, and but not quite as, like, good as that's, that sounds. Still Hates Me sounds like it could be on that Demi Lovato album, and it sticks out a fair <laughs> bit does, on here. Yeah. But weirdly, it sounds more like pink on some of her earlier stuff but it also sounds like demi lovato would have done this song a little bit better i think lost cause is all right and then you get three songs at the end feel something our song and just say sorry with chris stapleton which end the album it's a more of a country one it's got quite a nice guitar tone because of his tone but it is slow and it is boring it's the best of the last three but this is too slow it's too slight it's too boring it's too serious it's not what i want from pink and i cannot fucking understand for the life of me why she has bunched the only four songs with any kind of energy attached to them at all slap bang in the middle of this record i don't get it it it's a sequencing nightmare definitely um yeah <sighs> To be honest, even even the best songs on this, like I think Runaway is the best song quite clearly, but even then, it I find it pretty uninspiring for the most part. These are not like absolute bangers that I think are going to go down brilliantly. She's playing at Hyde Park, isn't she? I think part of the British summertime. Yeah. It's like, I mean, they're not going to move people like any material that's come prior to it, are they? I don't think they're going to end up being life staple, uh, life set no. staples or anything like that. I can't like, think so. No, it's a real throwaway album. I, mean, I really, I kind of don't understand. I don't understand its its own existence. Like I think the problems within the album don't baffle me quite as much as the album being a thing in itself. Because you know, Pink is a megastar. Like doesn't really need to release albums. So why 
because I, I don't hear anything in this that's heartfelt or uh, honest. Um, I don't even hear anything that's sort of, you know, annoyingly earnest. It's all just very, very flat. The only good thing about it is that Pink has technically a very good voice and can kind of put on the schmaltzy, emotive kind of balladry when mm. she wants to. So. Mm. She's not Christina Aguilera, is she? She's no Christina Aguilera, but like technically, you know, she she's can hit right. the notes in the right places. I, I never liked Pink because she was a great vocalist. Well, no. That's I mean, the thing is I always thought that Pink was like the cool kind of slightly alternative, slightly edgy one. And then loads of people have come along and have become more edgy than her, I think. And, and, and yeah, and she has kind of dipped back even further into i mean this is a sort of country pop album in a ballady country pop album in a lot of ways and it's just not very good unfortunately i don't really want to waste too much time talking about it because like i said i do like pink but this mm. is this is not good no i suppose the uh the message we should send to pink is um just watch out because there's always someone out there ready to step into your shoes and do what you do better than mm. you do it I'm coming up, <laughs> so you better get the party started. Shamon! Let's leave it at that. Play Trustful by Pink's out now. Uh, I wouldn't bother. No. Listen to Glorious Sunset. Instead. Yeah, do. Glorious Sunset by 100 Reasons is where we're going next. This is out today. If you're listening to the podcast today, it comes out. The fifth studio album from the UK Brit rock band making something of a comeback from their mid 2000s slumber. The follow up to their album Quick the Word, Sharp the Action in 2007, which I have never heard because. 100 Reasons got bad, Lynn. They got <laughs> bad. Um, they released a few albums, 100 Reasons, in the aftermath of Ideas Above Our Station and the kind of Remus and Cerebra 1, 2 EPs, which were absolutely brilliant. Shatterproof is Not a Challenge came out in 2004, the difficult second album, which oh. kind of killed their career in a lot of ways for... Um, in terms of them being a sort of on top of the pops and stuff. Although I don't think Shatterproof is Not a Challenge is a rubbish record. It's got a few really good songs in it. It's just not great. Uh, I know Kill Your Own is quite highly thought of. Don't know. And I've never listened to Quick the Word, Sharp the Action, because I had basically checked out 100 Reasons at that point, which is a real shame, because when they're good, when they're good, fuck me, they are good. And at the start of the year, some of you might remember that I was very surprised that I've been hearing some very cool 100 Reasons material coming out prior to the album was dropped. A lot of people around my age were shocked and stunned that 100 Reasons were starting to sound like 100 Reasons again. Hmm. Um, Sam, do you like 100 Reasons? Uh, I do. Let me count the ways. Oh, how do I love thee? Um, I I do a fair amount. Uh, So, you know, I do really like Ideas Above Our Station. I think that's a very strong album indeed. I don't hold it in the same reverence that a lot of people do. Like, I know that if I... If I were to go to 2000 Trees and say that I didn't think it was the best thing since sliced bread, I might be savaged. Um, but no, I mean, obviously, that album is fantastic. Um, to be honest, uh, much to my own chagrin, I've not listened to the first two EPs, which I do know some people say are, you know, as good, if not better than the debut album. Uh, but then Chatterproof, I don't really like, to be honest. It, it's not done loads for me. I can't remember if I've heard the third and fourth albums. They've totally passed me by if I have. Well, no, I, de- I know we definitely haven't heard... Um, the fourth album hmm. um, that I can't even remember the title of. Sharp just, the word, quick the action. That's the one. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I know I haven't heard that one. Um, yeah, Under Reasons, I think they're one of those ones uh, where I think maybe it was a kind of, you had to be there to absolutely go balmy for them. Because while I think Ideas Above Our Station is great, the fact that, you know, they're 
well have been coming around doing the kind of anniversary tours every kind of couple of years seemingly doing the album in full it's like oh is that all there is you know to it you know is that all there's going to be so that's why it seems yeah yeah i've never really been kind of i've never been that invested in 100 reasons i would say until now yeah yeah fuck me this is good isn't it <laughs> fucking incredible steve this so is brilliant i'm i'm gonna start with a spicy hot take steve yeah i think with all the context I've just given, I think, you know, there is an element of having to be there to really, really, really oh, adore no. ideas above our station. Oh, no, and no, in no. the same way that I prefer Devolver to Race Car as Race Car Backwards, I think this is my favourite 100 Reasons album. Okay, I'm glad you said favourite and not best. I'll allow it. Oh, um, no, no, no. I wouldn't say best. I'd say it's my favourite, though. I think okay. this is fucking glorious. And I think the thing that I love about it, actually, I think the Devolver comparison is kind of what I like so much about it because it has so much that does hark back to the original 100 Reasons sound that people fell in love with but it's a, it's further on it's a bit more weathered it's a bit more road weary I suppose but there's this undeniable sense throughout the whole thing I mean particularly uh, the opening it opens with the title track I'd say there it kind of announces itself in quite a triumphant glorious way of a comeback even though it's still got that slight pervading sense of sort of bittersweetness when you get the penultimate song, the old school way. There's something about that track where listening to it, I can imagine the four of them jamming it out in a practice room and kind of like beaming from ear to ear, looking at each other and going, fucking hell, lads, I think we've done it. I think we've cracked it. And it's just so heartwarming to me. I I think this is absolutely amazing just all the way through. There's not a second on this album that I don't absolutely bloody love. I think So So Soon has got that summery sweet spot of um the kind of early career feeder but post polythene that I do really really like I think it's just got a really nice sway and swagger to it I think when it does go a little bit um sort of slighter and darker on uh replicate and done I think that is the absolute highlight of the album for me those two I think are fucking incredible and then you get something like insultament which gets a little bit looser bit more danceable in the percussion it's a little slighter as a track uh, as far as the rockier ones go but to me it's almost got a bit of the kind of death tones, sort of like I'm sad and angry, but I'm also ready to have a shag at any moment to it. It's it's slinky but foreboding at the same time. I think this album is fucking brilliant. Steve. That song is what all those mid 2010s Brit rock bands want to sound like. That's what you know. That's what holding absence want to think they sound mm. like. I think, yeah. right? and they don't. I mean, yeah, mate. I there's not actually loads to say about this because this is just big, fucking massive alt rock bangers like for the most part and yeah i mean they do things that they just kind of instantly sound like 100 reasons again colin's vocals are brilliant colin's always had a really really like brilliant voice a brilliant yeah. singing voice a brilliant screaming voice he knows his way around a hook there's like oh, new gla- you know melodies new- on this yeah when you get the kind of big chorus and hearing Colin and Larry tra- like trading vocals again, it's great. Like you do on New Glasses, which mm. is a great song. I'm sure Renfrey likes that New Glasses. So, Ooh, um, uh, hey. And uh, <laughs> it suits you. Not everyone will get that, to be fair, but that's no. fine. Um, it suits you. It could have been lifted from ideas above our station. I think yeah. choppy, big choppy riff, bit gruffer. Replicate, you mentioned. I think they do that kind of orchestral stirring ballad banger thing really well. It's like a more upbeat, biffy, biffified version of uh, Falter from Ideas Above Our Station. Mm. Probably not quite as good as I just made it sound, maybe, because that is an incredibly high bar, I think. But it's fucking great. But for me, um, 
the old school way, which I think might have been the first or one of the first songs, it's a single. Uh, was it? I think that is amazing. The chorus mm. is just, it is that. The thing that's always great about 100 Reasons is they managed to do, I guess, like emo stroke post hardcore, but yes. turn it into alt rock, but not in a sort of Nirvana way. They weren't like, you know, they weren't at the drive-in for all the comparisons because of Colin's haircut. You know, they weren't <laughs> at the drive-in. They weren't, they certainly weren't the strokes or anything like that. But what they were was a band who just wrote these monumentally massive choruses that sounded like they should have been played on festival main stages throughout the world and for a little while you know they were because mm. i think ideas above our station is fucking phenomenal still to oh this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely fucking phenomenal record do i think it's better than this i mean i do to be honest i still think like yeah. that is the best but this is without question i think their second best album Oh, Without easy. any yeah, yeah, question yeah, yeah. whatsoever, this is the second best Hundred Reasons album. And when you've made, a, like you know, I waited and waited and waited for Ideas of Balancation to come out. Mm. I bought EP One, Cerebra. I bought Remus. I'd seen them before those uh, songs had even come out. You know, I was buying the split they did with Garrison. I was hugely invested in Hundred Reasons, so I was desperately waiting for that record to come out. And it just, you know, the fact that it didn't disappoint when I had so high an expectation of it and years later i put it on and it just really reminds me of that time i love it so i don't think anything they release or could release will ever for me will ever jump that bar i just don't think it's possible because mm -hmm. what they do even if they made an album as good as and this you know this might be as good as ideas above our station but it can't it can't replicate the context is what i would say so like so they can only ever make their second best album at this point and to be fair to them they have here they actually have i never saw this come in in a million years i would I don't think never have, did, i could never ever ever have seen this coming particularly as you know i went to the 10th anniversary of ideas above our station i saw them doing it at heavy fest as well i saw them doing it at sonosphere as well you know they were meant to have the um the, the the 20th anniversary tour last year or the year yes, before as well and meant to be last year it was then pushed to this year and it was going to be with hell is for heroes and i was like blimey 2002 on tour brilliant mm. um I, I i was gonna go because um a friend of mine uh, and my former boss uh is absolutely adores 100 reasons 100 reasons and ruben are his favorite bands of all time and will be until the end of time with glassjaw probably just on the podium as well so he's well into all this post hardcore of this era he was so excited. I was like, I'll come with you. They actually cancelled the Rock City date. So there were two dates on the tour that haven't been rescheduled. They've just been cancelled outright. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. That's a shame for my mate. Now I've heard this. I'm like, for fuck's sake, I need to go and see 100 Reasons. I need to see this material live. I think this is amazing, mate. I think, I think this it's is absolutely incredible. I think they're playing on the 4th in London, and I think I am going to go to that one. Um, yeah, really, really good. Uh, Glorious Sunset by 100 Reasons is the glorious comeback. Yeah, who didn't yeah. see that coming but it's fucking great go and check it out you idiot anyway now let's talk about and it's another thing i didn't see coming optical delusion by orbital the 10th studio album from the uk electro pioneers the follow-up to their 2018 album monsters exist which i've not heard because it was the second reformation and i actually had no plans to listen to this album as not only was it the second Orbital Reformation, quote-unquote, it was the second album on the second Reformation, and you wouldn't really expect very much from that, right? So 
I wasn't even going to listen to this. And then good friend of the show, Mr. Merlin Alderslade, our good mate, said, mate, you got to listen to the new Orbital album. you got to listen to it. Because I was like, wow, look, is it as good as that Leftfield album? Because that Leftfield album was surprisingly great, right? Mm. Uh, and he was like, it's better. So I was like, hmm, okay. Now, before we go into it to say whether or not that was true, um, what do you know or care about Orbital, Sam? Uh, zero. The only thing I know about Orbital is that my stepdad's brother... Uh, who is a sort of IT bod, but former raver, absolutely loves them. That's it. Good for him. Orbital back in the day were fucking great. Another one of those very, the very most innovative and important artists of the rave into dance music era being brought into the mainstream. Their Glastonbury 93 set and their performance of Chime on Top of the Pops in 1990 um, are both kind of iconic. I mean, <laughs> their Top of the Pops performance in 1990 remains one of the most awkwardly bizarre things in the history of Top of the Pops uh, where they didn't really know what they were booking. It's Ooh, is it fuck, fucking hilarious. Up there with one, two, three, four, get with the wicked. <laughs> nothing's that good mate no way nothing's no, that no, no, good no, no, to be fair um, uh, plus more importantly albums like their first two self-titled albums or the green and brown album um, for the uh, the Weezer f- fans of you out there and um, purely for the fact they sample Sober by Tool um, 2001's The All Together I would say are essential records from that time as well yeah fair, yeah, play. fair play got a, got a Tool sample on that album it's, it's, it's pretty fucking good um but like I say, really, I had no great expectation for this. I hadn't really thought about Orbital since the early 2000s, the sort of late 90s into the early 2000s. But holy shit, Sam. Mm. Holy shit. This is amazing. This is fucking brilliant, this record. I mean, yes, this sounds a lot like Orbital from the 90s. It sounds like stuff that bands were doing and artists were doing in the 90s. But it's not just that and the standard and the breadth across this record is quite quite spectacular i think it's quite breathtaking isn't it i think this is the third of three albums that we're covering this week that i think i might be talking about at the end of the year i think this is absolutely amazing and um i don't have the context for the kind of um I suppose the non-plusness, like kind of the aversion to want to check it out in the first place. I also don't have the context for why Orbital are brilliant, particularly because as we have discussed, I'm still taking my tentative steps into the, the world of dance and electronica proper. But Orbital Ringa Ringa, the first song, I love it. It feels like a contemporary throwback to that kind of 90s house music that mm-hmm. I'm slowly starting to investigate. It's got that updated production, but it's still got that feel. When you get that harder drum beat on day one with those sawing synths and some like some shamanic vocals going on, it's like, yeah, okay, there's a bit more acid. Classic house, rave, classic yeah. rave vocals that loving it. Yes, absolutely, brilliant. mate. And you, you get a little bit of that on the minimalism of Are You Alive? I think that's great. Mm-hmm. For me, though, squishy, that is. A squishy Are You Alive? It's great. It's fucking... Uh-oh. I mean, so far... So orbital sounding, to be honest, but that's all good. That is all good. I'm loving it so far. For me, it is when we get to the tracks uh, featuring Little Pest in particular. And even though I'm not a big fan of them, Dirty Rat with Sleepy Bods, when it goes well heavy and well grimy and punchy, and it's just like, yeah, this is it. Uh, Glitchy, horrible, kind of cold mechanical down the club. It's like, yeah, that is a bit of me. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think the new Abnormal actually, though, does um, it does the rare thing of using a talk box kind of uh, effect that I actually like, because usually I feel like when I'm listening to someone play something through a talk box, it sounds like they've got a chesty cough and I find it really off-putting, but it works there. (laughs) And then I think Home with uh, Anna B. Savage, 
it's more conventional vocal performance, but it brings it that real kind of, I suppose, kind of almost cliche level of like gravitas in sort of dance pop music. But I think it's so cool. I, I, I think this is brilliant, mate. I would also say, for another strings there, bow, Requiem for the Pre-Apocalypse, that kind of the balance between the weird sort of bubbling ambience and that fast shuffling percussion. I mean, to me, that says Aphex Twin and that is never a bad thing. Uh, Ronnie Size, I reckon, mate. You're going to go listen oh, to okay. Ronnie Size. Like okay. that that song particularly, you've got, that has got like what I would call kind of euphoric drum and bass, sort of old school euphoric drum and bass sound on right. it. Uh, like a bit more ambient and smooth sounding. Like, yes, I would say, what a surprise. Uh, the song after it reminded me more of kind of the bug meets Aphex Twin kind oh, of thing. Okay. I think both of them are great and not necessarily what you would instantly be expecting from an, an orbital album especially if you are more of a casual fan like myself i think uh home yeah you're absolutely right anna b savage is fucking brilliant sounds it amazing on that it. kind of 80s synth pop um this kind of art pop banger to mm. it um I, the dubstep feel on you are the frequency that's when i was like okay this album is going to somewhere else now which is really fucking cool so, um i'd say sorry just uh just to cut in, in rather than dubstep i actually thought that hit more of the kind of like contemporary drum and bass stuff that we we're hearing on amc because i don't think it was quite as obnoxious as like your yeah, Neros and skrillexes and stuff like that but i thought that was really cool and again another about turn that i didn't see coming on you know kind of elder statesman of dance music coming yeah. I, I didn't even know it was a second reformation it's like yeah, i think it's really impressive that it's like go on go on but mate you are right sleeve of mods turned up on dirty rat <laughs> which has this fucking quality baseline under Jason uh, Williamson. name, Jason yeah. Williamson's name, um, going, shut up, you voted for them, you dirty rat. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It is fucking great. It's like New Order meets John Lydon in left field. Absolute class. <laughs> best song on the album. Best song on the album by far. Like, it is wicked, this record. Absolutely yeah. proper fucking wicked wicked record like i am really shocked at how great this is just really really shocked at how great this fucking record is it, it, it is so good um you know i thought the left field album like i say that we did last year was great this is better this is actually better it's Definitely. fucking brilliant fucking brilliant yeah um i'm i'm a big big fan i feel like i've got yeah. a lot of orbital to go and listen to after this yeah uh optical delusion by orbital is out now uh we've got two more to do let's just skim through these a little bit um host by host uh the debut well, album it's nine by host isn't it it's ix by host oh right okay yeah i didn't see that oh yeah nine by host yeah, yeah. i thought it was self-titled for some reason oh fair. well yeah. idiot well oh, um what you like. sorry about sorry about that everyone uh the debut album from the paradise lost side project um nick and greg from Paradise Lost, harking back to the album of the same name that they did in their day job back in the late 90s. Good album, that. Um, Paradise Lost Host. It is basically them doing Depeche Mode, isn't it? And Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit sad that this isn't just a Paradise Lost album, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah I mean, because this is this is Paradise Lost doing Depeche Mode again. I think this is great. Um, obviously, obviously it's great because it's Paradise Lost doing Depeche Mode. I think the real strength of this is that they are going back to an album that, as I understand, very divisive and quite derided yeah. at the time. But I think it has got a fair a fair amount of sort of um, retrospective reappraisal because I really like yeah. Host. Um, I'd say I've probably listened to best part of uh, best part of half of Paradise Lost's albums. Um, and I'd say, obviously, you've got Draconian Times. Host is one that I found really, really intriguing in their back catalogue. And then I really liked Obsidian, the last one. 
And I think this hits a really good sort of sweet spot between Host and Obsidian, basically because of Nick Holmes' vocals doing the Nick Holmes thing on what sounds like they were listening to a lot of Black Celebration and then wanted to put more strings on it. And I'm very, very happy with that. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's ultra era Depeche Mode, which is, I think, is what they were kind of going for when they made Host. Mm. But it does have, you know, um, I think because it's Nick Holmes more kind of baritone dark gothic yes. tones he goes he's almost more Phil Oakey than uh, than uh, <laughs> than Dave Gahan if, yeah. if you're asking um, it's really great you get a lot of kind of 80s electro goth rock bangers uh, Divine Emotion I think actually sounds like a Paradise Lost song I think yeah. it could have been from Draconian Times if it had been played on doomy distorted guitars instead of strings and synths and stuff and I think it's mm. fucking great I think the first half of the album is is really good right hiding from tomorrow shimmers away in a really uh in a really nice way a little bit of rough guitar sound in it maybe for the first time on the album um i think a troubled mind is very good it's quite anthemic sounding for something which is often quite dark and mm. they bring those strings in nick holmes's hooks are pretty brilliant throughout the whole way through yeah um uh but it's for me when you get to like the booming synth throb that opens my only escape which oh, sounds yes, like mate, a kind mate. of the cure and you get that kind of broken beat and lumbering rhythm and it needed because the first few are i think they're fairly kind of here you go these gothic electro rock bang it's sort of like half paced sort of dark sounding songs they're quite then straight you get, ahead aren't they yeah. yeah but then you get a bit of a change of pace and it just soars after that mm. i think years of suspicion it sounds like Pimp by Depeche Mode. It's yeah. got that weird kind of piano thing at the start, but then it's really bouncy. You get these sort of stabbing synth things. Uh, you know, Nick again going full Gahan with uh, <laughs> "Feel the rain, the upper mall's pain." It's so 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 gothic, mm. and the next song, Inquisition, goes full like garbage stroke Nine Inch Nails. It's a sort of deep electro ballad. Again, it could have been taken off of Ultra. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think like the second half of this record in particular is absolute. I think the first half is really good. I think the second mm. half is amazing. Save for, I think there's a, the cover of I Ran by Flock of Seagulls is not as good as the original. It's fine, but it's not amazing. No, it's not as good as the original. When I saw it in the track listing, I was, you know, hoping that you could come in and say, oh, it'd be better if it was a Flock of Seagulls cover. And then it actually bloody is. Um, but I, I do quite like it as a cover. I don't think it's anywhere near the sort of brilliance of the original. But at least they have taken it and done something different with it. It's not super straight ahead. It's not just them doing it note for note. Um, I like that uh, Greg McIntosh's sort of uh, instrumental composition is something different that fits in with host sound. The only real kind of you know, like for like they've got, is that Nick Holmes does follow the original vocal melodies. I think that's good. It's definitely the least good bit of what is a pretty strong album, actually. Um, I would say all the way through. I think Tomorrow's Sky, for me, was where it really started to click. It was like, oh, yeah, God, you guys love Depeche Mode, don't you? When when the sort of chiptune synths come in at the beginning, I was a bit like, oh, what, what's going to happen here? This is a little bit concerning. But you get that deep bass guitar and then the saw synths that kind of round out the sound come in. It's straight Martin Gore, isn't it? And I've yeah, very, very happy with that. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. It, it does kind of sit in one place for its first half. But I think that place is, you know, perfectly nice to be in, as sort of gloomy and bleak as it is, because because it is that English gothic rock that Paradise Lost have sort of pioneered so brilliantly. 
it's got that kind of cheeky wink to it. It's got that little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and it's like, yeah, this is all a bit ridiculous, but let's just have fun with how sort of miserable it all is. I think this is good. I, I fucking love this, to be honest. I think it's really, really, really great. Really mm. great. Like, I think particularly... I mean, it sounds like an ultra-wide Depeche Mode being played by a Doom band. And I guess that's what it is. But it's just really great. Like, I think the songs are... It is such a fucking bit of me. I, mm. I really love this. I, again, I think the first half is very good. The first half is like a kind of high 7, 8 out of 10. I think yeah. the second half is a 9 out of 10. It is brilliant, the second half. Absolutely Blimey. brilliant. Love it. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. I, I, I'd say eight overall. Yeah, I, I do think this is very, very strong indeed. Um, I don't love it quite as much as you do, clearly. I'm kind of surprised that you are so taken with it. Like, because, yeah, it is Depeche Mode being played by a goth band, which is great. But it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should just listen to it again and again and again. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, because it did take me a while to get into any Paradise Lost, to be honest. It took a fair mm -hmm. few listens for me to really click with their stuff, even though it's not, you know, it's not the most complex and involved. But there is something quite monolithic about that kind of almost that stillness of it that kind of monotonousness to it that they do play with so brilliantly so maybe it's one that needs to sink in a bit more but i do like it already i definitely yeah, like it i like it it's really good uh it's nine by host go and listen to it let's close the show out just very quickly talking about erase theory the self-titled debut ep from former let live guitarist jeff sayhun's new band this is basically um i'd say it's the sparta to uh, Jason's Mars Volta, if we're making that at the drive-in comparison, because you know, I don't really like Fever Three 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 at all, really, and I've just compared them to the Mars Volta, which I <laughs> don't think is accurate at all. But I think they're more sort of weird, I guess. Where this is a fairly straightforward electro rock EP of five songs with some pretty good moments on it, but with few surprises, I would say. I'll be interested to see which are the, the, the good moments that really scream out at you. Because to be honest, I think after this, the first two songs, I got very, very fed up with this. Um, and Did you? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I think the obviously there is the kind of, you know, the, the Fever 333 and Now Erase Theory split here. And then whatever else the other members of Let Live may or may not go on to do. Um, I still quite like that debut Fever 333 EP, that Made in American EP, I think is still pretty good i think when the debut album came out it was a fucking disaster to be honest i really didn't yeah, like it at thing. all yeah it's fucking awful i'd say i ooh, i'd have to pause and think about whether i wanted to listen to strength in numbers or the erase theory EP again i think this is really really weak i think it's flat i think it's thin sounding and that's when it's at its best i think it sounds like kind of horrible synthetic pro-tooled to shit sort of modern metalcore guitar on something like top shelf where i like the groove and i like the bounce of the whole thing like i think the groove in that riff is good but it's so stymied by a horrible really kind of top rice shelf paper is my favorite production. song on it really say um, top shelf is the only song that has got like a super really super memorable catchy chorus on it and, and quite good vocal patterns i think that's probably the best moment on it for me personally Okay, it's probably the best moment for me, but I'm I'm really not. It, it's not top shelf, I suppose, quite aptly. Um, I think after <laughs> that, it drops off an absolute cliff, and you know, it's quite near the bottom anyway. It's kind of stumbled over the rocks into the sea after that. I think stay. Um, so the opening track lost it. I said so in the press release. Um, the kind of intention was that this would be somewhere between the weekend and Nine Inch Nails. That's the kind of mission statement oh, for gross, this project. Didn't read that. 
that's the mission statement for this project. Um, I would say that the first track sounds like a kind of a better version of Latter Day Linkin Park. I would say from Stay Onwards, it probably sits in the same level of quality as something like One More Light. I think this is really weak and really disappointing because I don't want to be mean about Jeff because I fucking love Let Live, but it seems like whatever that X factor that was holding Let Live together to make some of the best post-hardcore soul and funk-influenced kind of punk music of all time, it's totally gone. It's totally gone here. I think closure is unbearably wet. It's so woe is me. It's very it's, it's try, yeah. trying to be that kind of dark, brooding, like sexy, enig- in kind of enigmatic song. But it, it makes my genitals shrivel into me when I hear about him talking <laughs> about wanting to fuck someone. It's like, honestly, terrible. And then the final track, uh, 20XX. Really, really basic. It's every trick you've heard a million times before in this kind of electro pop rock thing and there's nothing wrong with you know music being basic it doesn't have to be ridiculously complex it doesn't have to have everything packed into it it doesn't have to be innovative every single time but it has to be well executed and i think it it sounds bad unfortunately jeff like i think the production really lets it down but then even then i think intrinsically the production choices and the songs are just not very strong at all. I, I, I'm really disappointed by this. It's kind of a shame we've saved it for last because it ends on a real damp square, but I think it's easily... I think I might rather listen to the Pink album than this again. Well, I, like to give it a little bit of... tiny little bit of credit, I think Top Shelf is quite good. I think it's got a pretty memorable okay. chorus. I think it's got quite a lot of cool vocal patterns that are very catchy on it. I think it's a cool enough song. I don't really care that much for the first song. I actually thought Stay was quite catchy as well. I quite like the riff from Stay. I mean, it's not amazing or anything, no. but I kind of like those two songs. I don't. I could take or leave the rest, yeah. to be perfectly honest. I could take or leave the, the rest. I think this shows um, a tiny amount of promise. There are tiny little amounts of promise on those two songs, but... I would be a liar if I said I am excited to see where race theory go next, to be perfectly honest. But I think it's not like, it sounds to me like you kind of call it a complete write. I wouldn't, this isn't a complete write-off. I just think it's very, very unremarkable, but it's got a couple of decent songs on it. I think it's a, a very, a very poor uh, first impression for for my tastes. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, you say sort of you, you see a glimmer of promise and stuff. I think there probably there there are foundations from which this could turn into a really exciting project. But I actually think that the Made American EP showed a lot more promise. And look how strength in numbers turned out. So I'm mm. not optimistic. I'm afraid, and that it pays true. me to say it because I fucking love it. those those last three left live uh, left live let live albums are unbelievable. But here we are. It's true. True facts. Anyway, Arrays Theory. It's out now if you want to... Stop you. <laughs> there you go. We haven't really started <laughs> to, you, to be yeah. honest. Anyway, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We appreciate that. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, this new Gorillaz album out. And we'll be talking about next yeah. week, I think. And some other things as well. So we'll be yeah. there doing that again, I imagine. Go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and enjoy Nightwish. But do enjoy David Bowie. Do enjoy that. Yes. We will see you next week. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll see you then. Goodbye.